0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane one we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 378, Board Game Geek Hotness for June 2022. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. And not just a regular episode, Anthony, a hot episode. Super hot. Hot. Ooh, don't touch burning it's gonna get
1: burned yes yes our, our favorite episode of the month where we get to go through all the hot games that are on board game geek and now that we're in the summer this thing is churning sometimes we do this and it's like it's the same as last month and then these two games popped up because they shipped on kickstarter but now it's like new games are raining down left and right it's, it's a lot of fun yeah
0: it, it seems that the uh, supply ships have finally moved the uh pandemic for For I don't know, for better or worse, is kind of a thing, but in the background. So we're gaming again, kids! Everyone get to the table! Yeah, conventions (laughs) are happening. They're full. Origins looked like Origins. It's normal-ish. Not really, but, you know, more normal-ish. So join us in the collective delusion that is board gaming. And as we talk about the latest and greatest of board games... We'll talk about the games that we want to have, want to hit the table, and the games that you want to know about because you might want to pick it up during the multiple holiday seasons over the summer and all of the online game stores that will be having their sales or all the different conventions that you might be attending because, again, everything's back to normal-ish. So, yay! That's a thing now. So... (laughs) Anthony, speaking of normalish things, I guess one of the things that is not normalish, which seems weird that we've started to accept as normal, as we've started to accept many things as normal, uh, Kickstarter. Kickstarter is more or less, you know, a thing now, but not a thing for everybody, it seems.
1: No, no. And it's, you know, it shouldn't be a big surprise. We've seen a lot of big, big campaigns go to GameFound. It's kind of the primary uh competitor now to kickstarter for board games which is important like i feel like if we'd said that 10 years ago it would have been like okay for board games (laughs) but board games are the largest category on kickstarter they make millions of dollars every year off of board game designers so um any of them jumping ship is a big deal they lose their 20 30 percent whatever it is uh and just the cachet in that particular space so We've seen things like recently, like the campaign for um, Castles of Burgundy was over on GameFound. Um, the Raw, the just a bunch of big stuff that just made a bunch of money. It was over there. Would have run almost exactly the same on Kickstarter, but people are just moving over. We don't really know all the logistics of why, except one designer and, and company owner recently kind of just shouted it out there why they don't want to be on Kickstarters because of, <laughs> The and I'm not quoting here, but it's a close paraphrase, the nonsense of blockchain and crypto and the scam <laughs> that it represents. So um I don't feel qualified to explain why crypto is a scam, but I feel it deep in my heart and soul that it is in fact a scam. So I, I'm with I'm with Childress on this, um, Isaac Childress, because he's gonna put his next campaign up on Backerkit, which is not game found, it's another alternative, but um it's not Kickstarter, which is the main thing. <laughs> he's done with Kickstarter after making a tremendous amount of money on
0: Kickstarter too, we should say. Like tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, and what is this campaign you speak of? Like what could actually drive people to go to Backer Kit over Kickstarter?
1: Right. Yeah. So the 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 way he's pitching it is miniatures and upgrades for Gloomhaven, right? So um new stuff for the world's largest (laughs) board game, the number one game of all time. Um, So he's calling it the giant miniature set and a second printing for Frosthaven. Um, There's a landing page up if you want to learn a little bit more about it. The campaign is called the miniatures of Gloomhaven. Um, And so there are, you know, if, if you play the original game, which most of us have at this point, you know that, you, you could get the figures as miniatures. Most boxes came with the figures as miniatures. And then all of the monsters, and there are hundreds of them, were standees, right? You punched them out, you put them in a the little thing, and they walked around. Because there were so many, it would have been really expensive to make as miniatures. Um, and so for years, people were like, do it, do the miniatures! And he just didn't <laughs> want to do it. Uh, and so now he's going to do it. Because someone whispered in his ear, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so... Uh, 500 plus miniatures. It'll cover all of the Gloomhaven contents and Gloomhaven, the expansion, Jaws of the Lion and Frosthaven. And it's supposed to replace all the standees and then the tokens for enemies, bosses and summoned creatures. So um, if you have one of these games now, you get the miniatures for all the player characters, but you don't for any of that other stuff. Now you can spend, I'm assuming, hundreds of dollars for all of the other
0: stuff. We'll see. (laughs) I don't think it says yet. Crazy. Crazy. That's super, super crazy. You know, Anthony, something you said about Kickstarter and about board games being kind of the top seller on Kickstarter, what – How? I just – I can't imagine the conversations that must have been had at the start of Kickstarter or around Kickstarter or, like, who was the random, like, you know, low person on the chain who was like, hey, you – you know, like you're a new employee. No one likes you. <laughs> Go handle board games. Like <laughs> we're doing important things, like you know, random tech things, or like plays, or poetry, or books, or something. Like, and then it's like, yeah, all right, I'll I'll handle board games because nobody wants it because that's that's a thing that's never going to make any money, right? And like all the money, <laughs> all the money. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> I mean, isn't that incredible to think about that?
1: Yeah, and you know, I. I think there's a couple things there. One board games can be created by a single creator, right? Like yes. Gloomhaven was just Isaac Childress. He did that all by himself. Now he has a team and he works with a lot of people, but version one of that game was just him plugging away um, with a, with a designer that he hired or an artist that he hired. Um, and two, the delivery rate on board games is really high. Like, There are the occasional games that fall through the cracks, and I know a lot of you out there listening are like, oh, I never got this game, or this one's a scam, or this one they're holding hostage because of shipping costs. I know that stuff does happen, but if you look at the thousands of campaigns that have been run in board games, most of them have shipped, almost never on time, but that's whatever, (laughs) nothing ships on time. But they all shipped, and you got what you paid for eventually, right? A lot of other categories, that's not really the case. Like, things don't come in. It's not what they promised. People don't really understand the logistics of designing and producing a product, manufacturing it. And so it falls apart quickly. Uh, Video games, there's a lot of video games. Some of them really successful, and a lot of others completely crashed and burned because the company's like, oh, we can make this game on half a million bucks. And then they go to make it. They're like, no, we can't. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? Uh, Board games... For whatever reason, I think the the pipeline, while very complex, I don't want to minimize that because it's super complex to produce something, anything. It's a little more straightforward. Like you can look at what someone else did to produce their game, and you can more or less go in that direction and use the same produ- you know, manufacturing companies and pipelines and everything. And everybody can talk to, and that stuff eventually comes out. So the result of that is it became like the way that games got made. Sure. Even by big companies, whereas... It's not the way video games get made. It's not the way that books or music or movies get made. It's just a possible way that indies can get potentially funded. Whereas board games, they all go through crowdfunding now.
0: Yeah. And I guess a lot of like we talked about this many, many times about board game mechanics not being... Trademarked. So somebody could release something again and again and again. I mean, think about all the the apples to apples, Cards Against Humanity, party games that must have went on Kickstarter. They must be in the thousands because I remember doing the podcast back in the day and it was just like everyone had a version of that. So, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And like you said, board game people want their games to be great. So they're willing to throw money at it, you know, so yeah it's just it's surprising it's amazing i i guess this is good right because game found and that backer kit the idea of competition hopefully bringing down prices a bit that would be nice because Com- competition yeah. is never bad it's always yeah. good yeah for us for the consumers and I, <laughs> yeah and i think kickstarter and i i mean there's been complaints about kickstarter as well so Maybe this kind of keeps them a little more honest and maybe brings down whatever percentage they're they're taking off the top. Because I do think that they were, at least the way the company was operating with the the manufacturers, they were a lot more generous in the early days. Now it's just endless amounts of money and things are a lot more complicated than they used to be. So, but, yeah, I welcome this. I, I haven't purchased a game on GameFound or backed a game on GameFound yet. I found game found to be and again this just might be the games I looked at you know when they've been on Kickstarter and then later on game found they've been like 10 or twenty dollars or more than the game on Kickstarter but that just might be a publisher thing that might be a decision that like hey if you want to back it now it's gonna cost whatever it's gonna cost more but right. um yeah I mean this is good and again I mean, Gloomhaven is everywhere. So more good stuff for Gloomhaven is fantastic before, I guess, somebody else. I'm sure somebody else has already produced miniatures for this already. But this is this is excellent. So very cool. All right. So that's what's going on around the world or at least around Isaac Childress. So uh, check out, you know, all those backer kit kind of projects when they pop up and especially the upcoming Gloomhaven kits, but we'll probably talk about that when that actually hits. That'll probably be in someone's acquisition disorder, to say the least. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with board gaming. Let's talk about what's most important, what's going on with our listeners, everybody out here who's listening. What's our question of the week?
1: All right, question of the week this week. Uh, This one was inspired by my class, where I was interested to see the different types of games that students who knew nothing about board games had been exposed to in some form. So coming into class, having never played most of the hobby games we talk about every week, some of them have played Catan, Ticket to Ride, and then a whole bunch of those family games, right? So my question for everybody was, what game would you like to see become more mainstream? So discussed and played by people outside of the hobby. Um, We like to think of a lot of these games that we play as being everywhere, right? And it's pretty rare that a game really does go mainstream, right? Like Wingspan pulled it off because it crossed a bunch of different Venn diagrams and made it work, and it sold more than a million copies now. Ticket to Ride is a good example of a game that did that. Catan has done that. A lot of games don't do that, no matter how much we think they're popular. So mm. uh, I asked everybody, what games do you wish would do that, right? More yeah. people would understand it. You could bring it to a family game night or, you know, a holiday event, and people would be like, oh, that game, I've seen that game. Um, also, Brant says Marvel Champions, which... I think in general, it would be cool to see maybe not champions, but just like a entry level LCG type of game that you could throw down and and people could get into. This one's fairly simple, but it's it's still fairly niche as well because of the theme. Um, David mentions Cascadia. It's a great welcoming game for everyone. The art and components would draw people in. Um, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. And I also think the their previous game, Calico, is another one that it could do that. Very accessible, very friendly theme. People love quilting and they love cats. Both of them there. Uh, Jeremiah mentions Sentry Golem Edition, um, which is an interesting one. I mean, Sentry in general, I think, has definitely become ubiquitous in the hobby. Uh, I don't think it has gone beyond that. I certainly haven't seen it in like big box stores, but it'd be cool to see it grow. Matt mentions Concordia. Uh, I could definitely see that. Not necessarily gateway level, but just like as a, you know, chunkier game that more people could play. Um, Omar mentions Dice Throne, and Chris mentions Sushi Roll. Uh, Any of those sushi games, I feel like Sushi Go, Sushi Roll, those games are kind of on the fence. They're not quite there. They're not mainstream, but they're popular enough, and you do find them in a lot of stores. Um, And then Andre mentions Modern War Games. It's slowly improving accessibility and opening doors to some important subjects. You can learn so much from history, especially when it's in a game format. Um, I think the war game format is an interesting one because it is historically so inaccessible. Those games are difficult. They're long. The rule books are often written like textbooks and like getting that in front of anybody to to explore these subjects is very difficult. Like I brought in a couple of games to my class. I didn't have the students play them. I was just like, look at them to see the <laughs> type of game that can be made about a subject like Gandhi right? Yeah. Look at this game. Isn't this cool? Don't try yeah. to learn the rules. You're going to get a headache. Like it's too much. Um, <laughs> don't, look too, so, don't look closely at the games, kids. <laughs> it'll blind you. Put the sunglasses on. Um, so like root root would be a great one. I'd love to see root become more mainstream and it's still a pretty complicated game, but it's not, it's not a coin game, right? It's not a GMT game. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff out there that, would be cool to see break through that barrier. I think we need to see more themes like Wingspan that are accessible mm-hmm. and open and interesting beyond trading the Mediterranean, science fiction, or high fantasy, like the three sure. kind of go-tos of board gaming. Um, yeah. But we are seeing that. So I, I'd like to see more of those break free.
0: Nice. Very cool. I, I guess then, not not a big surprise here, but I, I think games like Terraforming Mars, just because, right. you know, I think a lot, I think every generation, I mean, over the, maybe the last, geez, what, is, what has it been, uh, 60, 70 years with, with NASA space program and then other country space programs and Sputnik and everything else out there, like has fostered future desires to go to space and transform space and, you know colonize and build out new worlds and, and things of that nature. Because eventually one day, I mean, far, far off to the future, but at one point, you know, the sun will burn out. And if we don't venture out, if we don't make that part of our humanity's mission to kind of explore new and strange worlds, I'm not going Star Trek here, but I'm, I mean, legitimately like <laughs> yeah. we should be investing and in dreaming about the future of space travel and, and you know, traveling to other planets. And also the, all the different things that we can do in those kind of opportunities. I think Terraforming Mars is great because it's a very accessible tableau builder. And it really shows off a lot of the different aspects scientifically. And I know it's not necessarily scientifically correct, of course. But the I, the, the concepts, I think, are, are online, right? Like how would you warm a planet? How would you bring on you know insects and species and make it habitable and things like that i think that concept i think that game if that could be and i know that they have the you know the aries project and a little more accessible but i think terraforming mars having the cards just going through the cards i think the all the different possibilities and opportunities for humanity to grow out there in the stars i think is valuable and i think i think it's something that we need again because I think space travel, because it has been purchased by so many billionaires as a luxury project or item. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anthony and I were talking before the podcast about the impossibility of being able to go anywhere these days, like Disneyland or the ballpark, just because how expensive that is. And like now, going to space is only for the rich. Like I would like to see more of the populace want to travel you know want their governments to believe and create projects like not everyone has to be an astronaut or a cosmonaut or whatever kind of not but i do want people to be more you know interested in and dreaming and painting and fantasizing about what they could do in space and i think terraforming mars does a good job of that just the endless number of cards every card is a a different possibility that somebody can employ yeah that's a good one yeah All right, so that's everything that's going on with our listeners. Please keep up with us. We have new questions of the day for you. So check out our Facebook and Twitter, our Instagram, but especially BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our website that has it all, all our podcasts, all our articles, all our videos, and a lot of surprises each and every week. Thank you so much for checking in and let us know what's going on in your board gaming world. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the things that we want at the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders all right
1: this one's a long time coming we knew we knew it existed but there was no information <laughs> until the uk games expo uh, yes a couple yes ago yes. and that is war of the ring the card game yes this is yes it's happening it's so, there. so excited we mentioned it we mentioned it back in january in our you preview did. for the year because there was uh-huh. a small little rumor that it existed
0: we're like okay uh-huh. well if it exists i want it um, and anthony could you just not to stop you there, but can do you remember where that where that that kind of thing started? Do you remember? So I remember where that thing started. Do no. you remember where like the first kind of clue of there being another War of the Ring game? Do you remember that image? They had that picture of oh. of Ares Games, yeah, yeah, yeah was game of... of... and it was like a little edge of that, the, like they the new off War in in the, of the Ring. Yes, yeah. yes,
1: yeah, yeah. And then and then on top of that, it's the tenth anniversary of the second edition of War of the Ring. So people mm-hmm. are like, they gotta do something, right? Like they've done these big anniversary editions and limited editions, like they have to have something. Mm-hmm. They do. It's a new game. So <laughs> very, very exciting. Um, this is not designed by the original designers. The designers listed as Ian Brody, who is the designer of the Quartermaster General series, which by all accounts are very good games. I've not actually played them myself, but they're quick, accessible, card-driven war games, which, perfect, right? That's what a War of the Ring card game should be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, this game uh, is, information is trickling out. Some people have demoed it. There's a couple, like, low-quality videos up you can take a look at. There's a Reddit thread. I'm not going to go through all the mechanics or how people described it, because I have not personally played it. But it is a, they're calling it a two- or four-player game. So whereas War of the Ring the board game was also a two- or four-player game, it was primarily a two-player game, right? Or you could play teams of two. In this one, in the card game, it seems like it is designed to play with teams of two, 2v2. Two they say there will be rules for 1v1 one one version. Don't know what that will look like. But the, there are four decks of cards. There's the Wizards, the Fellowship, the Elves, Mordor, and then Isengard in the East. So if you have four decks of cards, you want four players, right? Makes sense. Um, the primary mechanic of the game is you're playing different cards to locations and you're trying to win those locations in some form or another. There's also a path that you can work towards to get to Mount Doom, um, or if you're the other side, stop the Fellowship from getting to Mount Doom. Um, And it has a pretty interesting idea in it where when you play a card out, you have to cycle a card back away for basically for the future. You're like, you discard a card. They call it cycling because discarding in this game seems to be exiling the card, getting rid of it forever. Well, who knows? Um But you're basically, you're putting a card into play and then you're putting another one aside for the future. So you need to have cards in hand to basically to pay to play other cards. Um So you might have a couple good options. You might have to think through like what cadence of cards you want to have coming back into your deck later, when they're going to go in there, how they're going to go in there. Um, there's all these different icons and things that determine where you can play into certain locations based on the types of cards that you have. You have the ability to kind of have characters in reserve that give you special abilities. So, you know, if you're the elves, for example, you have Elrond or Galadriel in reserve and they give you extra abilities to like draw extra cards. But then if they're in reserve, you can't put them out into play to contest one of these locations. So when do you shift them from reserve to a location? Um, All these interesting decisions which is the reason War of the Ring is such a brilliant game is because you're always presented with interesting decisions. There's never a point at which you're like, I guess I'll do this because I don't know what else I can do. There's always <laughs> some collection of interesting ideas and decisions and what direction you want to go and how you want to do it and what how you're going to untwist this puzzle and try to outthink your opponent. Um, and it really feels like based on, admittedly, not a ton of information because I have not as fully deep dived into this as I would like. But it seems like this is doing that in a different way, too. Not It's not just the board game boiled down to cards. It's a card game. Um, it looks very pretty from what I've seen of it. There's They say there's 100 original illustrations. Um, there are, I think, 10 different artists listed on the Board Game Geek um, listing. So all these different people who are well-known for doing Tolkien artwork, including John Howe, who did the original artwork for war of the ring it's just everything about this looks amazing so i'm will however i need to track it down to get it whatever i need to do to get a copy when this comes out whether it's you know gen con or essen or just paying out the nose on ebay i don't really care i'm getting a copy <laughs> of this game it will be played somehow i'll find three other people will get a four player game of this in Um, uh, but war of the ring the card game and they say it's coming out this year and by all accounts it's close enough to being done by from the people who've played it at the convention so far so it seems like it will come out this year barring shipping issues so whew, very exciting very very exciting
0: yeah really excited aries does a great job and obviously with the new amazon series that's coming out so i think this is going to blow big the only question is the 2v2 thing i mean we're not talking magic the gathering where it's 1v1 right i'm wondering how that works like are we looking at just something that's dynamically going to change the industry in a real meaningful way? Because I I, I do think Lord of the Rings has enough legs to spread out a bit. I mean, magic has done everything. So a Lord of the Rings is kind of magic-esque, but it's board game. It's not a CCG. It's not, we're not going to have to deal with secondary markets, but can you get a partner to play this with consistently and then find two other people who are also playing, and again the other side, right? So right. that's it's well, going mean, to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, so I mentioned Quartermaster General, and one
1: thing I do know about this game is that it has a similar mechanic in that it it plays with I think two, four, or six, and each player will control a different number of yeah factions based on mm-hmm. the player count. So you have two fronts, and you'll have a certain number of factions, and they'll each have their own decks. Um, Mm -hmm. so it seems like that's what's being drawn in here so I don't know if it's it's not new necessarily but it's really cool that they're bringing it from, we talked about war games not being accessible, Quartermaster General is a little more accessible of a war game but it's still a war game, but bringing that into a theme that more people would play in a shorter package yeah, like you said, maybe this makes that we get new mechanics, we get new ideas that are like, you know off in the corner in the war game community now we get them into a broader board gaming community that'd be really cool
0: Yeah, this is, I think, the dream of every publisher to take those well-worn gameplay mechanics from other types of board gaming out there, like miniature gaming, right? Like, how many miniature games, Anthony, have you and I seen over the years that was like, hey, you love Warhammer? Here's a board game version of it. And it just failed completely. Oh, you love Magic? Here's something that, you know, Richard Garfield thought up that everyone's going to play now. So. I mean, this could be this could be the thing. Like, you know, we love root, right? Root was one of those things that did translate over perfectly. So, I'm hoping that this is all the great things. So, we'll keep up to date with Aries and uh, find out. I think this is Q4, so we probably, hopefully, maybe, possibly, we'll see this at PAX Unplugged. I think Ooh, that's the idea. Yeah. Hope so, so really exciting, really exciting. And again, it also, again, it, I, I think it's another mechanic it reminds me of like queen's gambit if you've never played the star wars game queen's gambit you probably haven't because it's it's a grail game it's one of those games that's super out of print will never probably come back to print. i would say never but you know disney right they seem to be bringing everything <laughs> drinking everything out from the past so you never know they did have the lighter version of it but the idea of managing all these different fronts at the same time if you've never tried to play a game like this You should, because like Anthony said, I think the most dynamic thing about that type of gameplay is the fact that there is no such thing as a wasted turn or an uninteresting turn. And for me personally, that's what makes board games. So if you say, Chris, what is it about board games that you love? And I'll say, interesting choices. Like the more interesting choices I can make, all the better. If I have to throw away turns, I just don't want to be there anymore. So I love it. Love it. All right. Well, let's 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 go from there to I I guess because we're going to talk Kickstarter, so of course we're going to talk all the monies. Soro luxury limited edition. Now, if you've uh. never played Suro, <laughs> I know everyone out there took a you know like, hey Soro I know that game. It's it's the game with the like the really cheap tiles and you move the thing around the pads. Yeah, yeah, I played that. Yeah, how about luxury edition of that? And they're like, nobody asked for that. Like no. nobody. <laughs> I wouldn't ask for that. So, yeah. So if you've never played Sorrow, Sorrow, I believe, has like two main additions out there, the traditional one, where, again, you're moving these stones around the board. And the, the basic concept of it is you have a stone. You have an empty board. You have a choice of three tiles. And on your turn, you will choose one of the tiles. And on each of the tiles is a unique pathway of of drawing so each tile obviously it's we're looking at a perfect square here and there are two entryways and or exit ways on each side of the tiles so how you place it determines where you know what path you travel along that tile now the trick here is you want to stay alive as long as possible the problem is when you place that tile out that tile will eventually tie into other tiles. So inadvertently or directly, you will put yourself in a situation where you could slam into another stone and knock yourself out or walk your way right off the board. And sometimes you don't have a chance, you have nothing to do about it. Like you get the bad tiles or the tiles are surrounding you in such a way that there's no way out. So a lot of times playing the game, it's a fun, accessible game, but it's also sometimes a completely frustrating game because here's three tiles and all the choices are death. So fun. I don't know. Um, I've played this a lot. They do have a, I think, a C version of it with like a C dragon in there. Uh, that offers a little bit of a difference because now you have another neutral kind of competitor that's trying to knock you out as well. It's a good game. I even have it for my iPhone. I I play that every once in a while just because, you know, for funds. I throw throw every character in there as possible. Now, this luxury edition, which is on Kickstarter, uh, again, if if that interests you, this campaign will wrap up on Friday, July 1st. So by the time you hear this, you will still have a little bit of time to back this. Currently, they are looking for $80,000, but they're way over $200,000 at this point. So this project will back. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> hopefully, my Sora explanation you know kindles within you that that gameplay that you once have, or maybe you own a copy yourself, not a bad game whatsoever. They put together honestly, a very gorgeous edition of this, like sure, we are yeah. talking you know, carved wooden case, we're talking about beautiful beautiful pieces in play here uh these intricate metal sculptures that replace what was just like simple plastic little tokens so you're actually getting all really cool dragons looking now and different mythical creatures that you'll be able to put into play it's again a beautiful bag beautiful tiles beautiful board i mean everything is gorgeous about this like there is no reason not to play this. Like, if you ever see somebody with this, you would certainly sit down and play this because, again, it's a very simple, engaging gameplay, and this has endlessly beautiful pieces of all qualities, and just it's just gorgeous. So why would you not back this? I don't know. You should back this if you do have $350 for it. That's Yeah. That's... Why? <laughs> yeah. And don't forget the shipping. Don't forget the shipping. What what could the shipping be on something like this, Anthony? I mean, it's only a wooden solid box with metal pieces and just tiles on top of tiles. That that can't be a lot of shipping at all, right? That's going to be relatively no. cheap. Yeah, that's no, right. only another seventy eight dollars <laughs> for the U.S. Yeah, what is the, it for? Yeah, continental U.S. Yeah, continental U.S. <laughs> you better not
1: live in Hawaii. No twenty seven. Or Europe oh, okay. is
0: 141. So and yeah, so 141 for Europe is pretty high. I mean, they're yeah. So I, I just wanted to mention this again. This is a this is a good game. I'm not. I, I don't want to yes. downplay it. It's a good game. It's accessible. Anybody can play this game. Like literally, you put this in front of anyone. You don't need to teach them strategies or tactics or explain the game. Like, cool. Where's your starting piece go? place it wherever you want to start. doesn't matter. Bam. Great. Here's three tiles. Place one of the three tiles. You could shift the orientation, put it there. Great. Now follow the path. Done. That's your turn. Like you don't even have to think about this. $350 and another hundred some odd dollars for shipping. You have to think about that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's kind of a thing. So Yeah. Man, it hurts. It hurts because it looks beautiful. Uh, It it does. Yeah. yeah, They do such a good job. It's Mm -hmm.
1: like one of those things like I don't want to own it because, you know, it's not my favorite game, but I would love to play it. But so few people are actually going to buy this. Like you say, 250,000, but it's only 700 something people. So it's when am I going to see a copy of this? Probably never.
0: Yeah. And see, that's the problem with a lot of these games. Like I do own the giant small world version i mean obviously it's much bigger than this but it was i think it's less expensive actually but it's one of these things where it's like it's so ornate it's so heavy it's so delicate it's so expensive you're not bringing this to game night yeah. and sometimes most times you're not even going to be able to transport these types of games so it's 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 I don't know. It's a luxury piece. It's a conversational piece for your house. Maybe you put this on like a coffee table and like people ask about it. You're like, Oh, let's play this because it's simple and easy to play. And we can just easily put that out there. But I love the idea of it. I love the project of it. I think it's great. Again, my problem with Kickstarter almost always is the same thing, which is beautifully produced or overpriced, simple games. And again, We've been doing this podcast for like, it's going to be like nine, 10 years now at this point, and we could never push back against the idea that like the mechanics were great or the investment in the engineering or the production or stuff like that. But now we got to a point where like light, simple games like Surro here are getting deluxe treatments and they're just so infinitely expensive. They're just incredibly expensive. And this is just, and again, it's, it's a shame because... I hope that the regular edition stays somewhat in print and that this doesn't become you know the standard at some point but we might be looking about looking at this Anthony in like 5 years and be going remember that cheap game servo that was on Kickstarter for 350 we should have right. picked that up we can't find the base copy anymore and the the super copy costs like $1200 now to move a couple of tiles so yeah that's a thing so yeah, so check it out. It's still on Kickstarter. So you do have some time if you do have the money. And if you do, let us know because we want to play it with you. I also want to talk very briefly, Anthony, about a game that I just recently backed on Kickstarter. There was actually a couple this past week, which was surprising. So it's always hard when they all come up at the same time and mm-hmm. you try to decide what, you know, what game you're going to back. Or probably better to say, like, what, you know, <laughs> what how are you going to mortgage your house this time to back something uh, the game that I'm looking at here is from Mind Clash Games. We've talked about this previously. This is Septima. Gather your witch coven, enthrall the townsfolk, and rise to power as a new Septima in the most accessible Mind Clash game yet. That is hilarious that they actually put that in there. Like they must have acknowledged. And when you and I, you and I talked about this, Anthony, what was the last game? <laughs> What's the last game that we can't we still can't figure out? Was it Perseverance? Perseverance, yeah. (laughs) Perseverance. And one of our listeners, and thank you so much, tried to explain it to us. And that was awesome because without that explanation, I still wouldn't even know what that game was. But that recently got out to everyone, and I guess that they did hear some feedback about, like, maybe they went too far. I mean, I love Tricarion. I own all the stuff for Tricarion their rule book and their games can be somewhat obtuse. And I love the fact that they swing for the fences, but yeah, it can be a little bit problematic. The challenge here is about this game is is it too light? I'm gonna just I'm just gonna throw it out there. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this about a mind clash game, but is it too light? It could be too light. I think this might be too light. So I've been watching this game quite some time because again I love the theme here. They did hire a uh, cultural consultant, so I'm glad to see that they went ahead and make sure that it was a respectful theme. I mean, it's it's about witches, it's about witch trials, and there's obviously, you know, people who participate and, you know, call themselves witches and are part of that community, and I just wanted to make sure that it would be cool to play a board game that was about them and witch trials, which seems like a little bit iffy, but the game itself is all about, again, like we see with a lot of games, like Apprenticed moving up to become the master. So they're going about their trials and tribulations in order to be able to become the best. We've seen this in a lot of the Tricarion games that we've seen pr- before and a lot of board games in general. So basically in this game, which, what's interesting about it is it's, it's a card-based action selection game. So everyone is given the same cards at the start of the game. You're going to have 10 cards to be able to play with. And each of those cards are going to be able to give you an action to take. Now, what's interesting about this game, and again, Mind Clash does such a good job of this, I think in particular with Dracarion, is when you play the card, and everyone will play their cards at the same time, secretly, and the Septima will also have a token that's visible. If you play the same card as the Septima, or as one of the other players... You get an additional bonus action. Like your action is like powered up. Awesome. I love that. But here's also the twist, which reminds me of a game, um, Dominion, long time ago. They used to have this mechanic, and Dominaire used to have this mechanic as well is that you gain suspicion. So as your actions are powered up because you followed a similar action as someone else, now your suspicion goes up. That's a problem because there's witch hunters in this game, and if they capture you on the board that you're moving around to gain different ingredients for your potions in order to heal people in the town, you go to trial. Now, it's not the end of the world because obviously there are neutral folks, there are angry folks that haven't been healed or haven't, you know, for whatever reason, they're just just bad people. But you'll also be able to put in that bag – you pull out you know, citizens from that bag and they, they, they become part of that trial and the different jurors in that trial. You'll be able to put some of your own people in there, some of your supporters in there to support you. So the different actions allow you to move around, collect ingredients, brew the different potions, heal the different town folk. You'll also be able to recruit, again, especially if you're able to – and this happens multiple times throughout the game, other witches will come up up for trial, you'll be able to, if you're able to support them, you'll be able to recruit those witches to your coven, so now you have an opportunity to do more things. Every witch has a special ability in the game, which will help you, support you throughout the game, and then you'll be given a bonus card at the beginning of the game. The more witches that you have available, the more bonuses on that bonus card that you can score. I really like this. This reminds me of Shipyard, where you're given a whole bunch of end game bonuses and you can choose what you want to score so this is great because you start with the one you know your leader and you have an apprentice and then you'll be able to bring other witches on board so you could add think up to four witches so you could score up to four different things as you're scoring points in the game now as you go through the game you're also moving up these different tracks in order to score additional points There's a solo mode in this. You can can play against the Black Widow, which is pretty cool. I love the fact that Mind Clash really goes thematic when they do their solo plays. It's not just like, hey, you scored points. So it's a beautiful game to look at. You could try it on Tabletop Simulator if you'd like to try it out. The game, and it only comes in a deluxe version here, is going to be $75 for the game. You're going to get screwed screen printed meeples throughout the game. you're gonna get some really I, I think very lovely artwork in this game. The graphic design is fantastic. The only thing that you could buy as an add on this game is instead of instead of I guess cardboard victory point tokens at the end of the game, you can get these really nice metal ones. The re- I've already backed this because again, Mind Clash is great. This seems a little more manageable. I've watched a couple of videos and went through the rulebook here. It does seem like an easier, more manageable game because you're moving your coven throughout the, the different forests to collect all these different resources and to brew the potions. And there's even this really cool mechanic where if you are going to get captured or throughout the game, you can actually transfigure... Into, I guess you're familiar. So you get to transform into um, an animal creature and you get to, you still get powers, but they're not, they're different powers and sometimes not as powerful. So it's pretty cool. So that removes the kind of suspicion and you can kind of avoid all of the bad people in that case. So this looks great. Game Trays is putting game trays in the box if you back it on Kickstarter. And again, They've continuously upped their game. They're really doing a great job here. There will be a retail version that won't have all the fancy stuff. As I mentioned before, you can back the additional $16 for their metal victory point tokens. I didn't go ahead and do that. They look amazing, but again, it seems like they only come into play at the very end just to score points. So I'm going to hold off on that, but we'll see how that goes. (laughs) So, yes, uh, this campaign is currently up and already back. So no problems of concern here. Mind Clash has always done a great job with their games, always have delivered. If you're interested in backing this, this is another Friday, July 1st. Not a lot of time, about two weeks to go. They're already at 400,000 plus. Uh, Septima, check it out. All right, so that's everything that's going on with our acquisition disorders. Now on to the games that hit the table this week. So, Anthony, why don't you let everyone know what you played, and we'll let people know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up, if those games are a play and they should sit down and play them, if those games are a dodge and they should avoid them, or if those games are the dreaded burn. And I can't imagine any game being a dreaded burn, but every once in a while it does happen. Anthony, what do you have for us this week? All right, so I got a chance to
1: play Libertalia, Winds of Galecrest. This is the newest game from Stonemeyer Games, um, and it's a re-implementation of Libertalia, which came out several years ago from Paolo Mori, uh, and is a very highly regarded pirate game, uh, which a lot of people kind of put in the same bucket as Citadels, right? Where you're, simultaneous action selection and a lot of take that elements kind of mixed in, right? So... Winds of Galecrest was, people were very excited about it. It was like, oh, they're bringing it back. It's going to be updated. And I have not played the original version of this game, so I cannot compare them other than to look at Board Game Geek in the photos. Um, But I can say thematically, it's very colorful, right? The original version of this game was more realistic artwork. It was pirates. uh, And now it is sky pirates and animals instead of people. Um, Everything's very bright and colorful, lots and lots of blue, lots and lots of daylight and flying through the sky on your ships. Um, So thematically speaking, definitely a pretty significant shift there. Um, I think it's going to depend on what you enjoy, whether that's a good thing or not for you. But I thought it was very cute. uh, And I liked the overall thematic kind of twist to the game. In terms of mechanics, though, what you're doing in this is you are going to have a I'm not going to say hand of cards. It's more like a deck, but everybody has their deck of cards and all the cards are the same. So first round of the game, somebody's going to draw up their hand and everybody else is going to go through their deck and pull out the exact same cards. So everybody has the same cards at the start of the game. Now, as the game goes on, because you're going to play different cards than each other in each round and you get to save some of those cards between rounds, you will eventually have a, a hand of cards that is slightly different than other people because you will have not played the same cards that they did. But the start, you have the exact same ones. Um, These cards have numbers on them. You play them face down. The number determines the order in which they go off, they trigger effectively. And then those cards are going to tell you what they do based on several different factors, right? So they have um, uh, different effects based on the different times of day. So you have like daylight tasks and dusk and evening tasks, uh, and so the daylight's going to happen during this round, this active round of things happening. And then the dusk is going to happen at the end of that round. And then the evening kind of happens after all of the different days have resolved on this voyage that you're going on. And there is different treasure that you can pick up these little, um, Azul type tiles that are placed in each of the locations. And based on the order in which you have played out your various pirates, you go in reverse order and you take those different treasures, those treasures themselves are, also trigger abilities based on what's printed on the board. There are two different things that could be printed for e- each of these different treasures. Um, and so you have things like a hook and a treasure chest and a barrel and a saber, amulet. Um, and so there's kind of the nice version and the meaner version for each of them. And they're also printed on the board. But if you want to mix it up, the game comes with tiles so you can randomize on one side of the board, some being good, some being less good, right? Um <laughs> Some are a little more take that-ish, regardless of the nicer mean version that you play. So it's this game is going to have that in it. You you should know that you're getting a game where you're going to take each other's stuff. You're going to knock each other's characters off the board. Bad things are going to happen. Um, but you're going to collect these different treasures throughout the different days of the voyage. And the characters that you have that you place out face down, they're going to come into your tableau at the end, as long as they don't get booted off the board, which can happen. And then they can chain off of each other, right? So they have those abilities printed on them. Some of them do that will activate in future days. And some of them have abilities that activate at the end of the voyage. They have a little anchor on them. Um, Some of them will trigger off of the different treasure tiles you get. So you're collecting money throughout each voyage. And at the end of the voyage, you're going to bank that money into your little personal treasure chest, which has little dials on it. You're going to reset everything. All your cards go away. All your treasures go away. You reboot the whole thing and you go on the next voyage Um, and you at the end of I believe it's three of these voyages, you are going to see who has the most money banked away in your treasure chest and combined with what you have left over at the end of the third round. It's very quick. Uh, It seemed like a lot taking it out of the box, but getting it to the table, playing the game, it moves very quickly once you know what's on the cards. And again, everybody has the same cards in their deck. And the same things are triggering off the treasure each time. So once you get through, like, the first voyage, which is, I believe, the first four days, it goes pretty quickly from there. Um, It has 15 total rounds split across the three different voyages. But once you get through, like, two or three of those, it's going to go pretty rapid fire. Um, Again, I can't say what's been changed here. Personally, I'm not comparing it to the original version. I'm coming at this kind of fresh... um, my, my only point of reference is people it, comparing it to Citadels. I like it better than Citadels um, because of the variety, because you have these treasure tokens that you're bringing in and you're building a tableau that you're trying to activate different things off of. You have the information knowing what, in what's in everybody else's decks. If you pay a lot of attention, you could start counting a little bit of the cards and knowing like you've already played your number 35. You don't have that thing that's going to knock all my guys out. You've already played your number one that you've this ability is gone. Um, but it's also not like. It does feel like a lot for what it is at the same time, right? So putting it all in perspective, like I like Citadels, but it's never been my favorite game, right? I'll play it when it comes out. It's fine, right? This it feels like a slightly better version of that. It's pretty. There's a lot going on here, but it's the same thing you know, 15 times. So it starts to feel a little bit repetitive across all those three voyages. And then take that elements are not consistent. Like not every card is a take that element. So sometimes you might have a full day or two or even three where you don't stab anybody. And then all of a sudden everybody stabs you, right? And you're like, well, that sucks. And that's going to happen. And it's not even fully on purpose because it depends on what cards people play out and what cards affect which cards depend on the numbers that everybody plays. So it almost gets like a little bit of that cosmic encounter feel of like, well, I have to attack you because that's where the card landed. Um, Which I don't love just because, you know, it's, it's a very good experience. I think for the right groups, it's not my type of thing. So I'll give this one a play because if somebody brought it out or if somebody asked me to bring it out, I would play it again. It's not like so far down that path where I'm like, I don't want to play this. This was not fun. It's mean. It's not mean because you're not choosing who you attack. Really? Most of the time. Um, but it also feels like a lot of it's like, there's enough game there for you want to be able to control more of it, but just enough stuff that's outside of your control that it's chaotic, which I know is the point of the game. Right. But it's just not something I fully enjoy. <laughs> so um, Libertalia, the winds of Galecrest. It's very pretty. It's a great production as always from Stonemaier. Um If you like, well, I don't know if you like Libertalia, if you like this, probably, I would imagine like, the core mechanics are seem to be the same, but um, if you like that type of game, if you like the citadels type of game, if you like that type of gameplay where you know you get some decisions, you get to try to deduce things, and yet at the end of the day, you're still kind of just—it's a little random, it's a little funny, it's a little people throwing their hands in the air. Um, <laughs> this is a good version of that. It's a fun version of that. So it's a play for me. Um, I could easily see some people absolutely loving this though, because I know people who love games like citadels, and I'm just not one of them. So Libertalia, Winds
0: of Galecrest, play for me. Uh, Check it out. I'm one of those people. I love Citadels. I love Citadels so much that not only do I own the original version of Citadels, I bought the second edition version of Citadels because Citadels? So I've always liked that concept that there are roll cards available and that you're not attacking particular players, but you are – you know, certainly trying to disrupt other people's ability to cash in on things. The original version of Libertalia, maybe it's just because I'm not a pirate guy. Maybe I think you mentioned, Anthony, like it does go on for a while. Citadels is a lot shorter and quicker as far as building up your Citadel. So maybe it fits a little quicker and easier for me on that. I'm glad that they did a new version of this, not just a reprint, but, you know, scaled up and cleaned up a lot of things too. So I'm interested. Yeah. I definitely want to check this out. looks like fun. So I don't know if it replaces Citadels for me, but maybe it does look. Yeah. Gotta get to the table.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think you'll like this more than I do. And that's not nice. to say I dislike it, but it just, it seems more like your type of game. Excellent.
0: All right. Well, I want to talk about a, ridiculously giant big game that is also a second edition this is eclipse second dawn for the galaxy this was a i don't even know what to say anymore it was an endless big gigantic just galactic game that you could have decided to back if you decided to do so because you know eclipse was a game that was just like um twilight imperium 4 that was all about these 4X mechanics in space where you're building up your particular race civilization, exploring the universe, expanding throughout, going up your tech tree, and then, of course, trying to exterminate other players as you go. Eclipse was always the kind of, like, I mean, just for me personally, not to offend any Eclipse players out there, but, like, Terraforming Mars was, like, the game that like, if you looked, if you wanted to play a game about space, people always were talking about Terraform Mars. If you were looking for a 4X game that was about space, it was always, or for a long time, TI3 or TI4, Eclipse always had gotten forgotten for some reason. It was like, it wasn't necessarily an easier game or a simpler game. I mean, it does have some different mechanics than TI4, but Eclipse was a game that was, Always out there, available, had a strong following. And obviously when they came out with the second edition, people were very excited. It is in a lot of ways a more streamlined and mechanically smart kind of gameplay than TI4. TI4 is a lot more thematic, a lot more dramatic, a lot more epic. Eclipse is very much managing your resources and picking up the little resources as far as research or upgrades that you need throughout the game. To be able to build up your planets again to gain more resources. So, I always felt like it was a little bit more Euroish, as far as that's concerned, but it was never as dramatic or epic as a TI4 game. Like, if someone's playing a TI4 game, you're like, oh, I gotta go look at this. People playing an Eclipse game, you're like, oh, that, that's cool. Yeah, good luck on your calculations there. <laughs> so, throughout the game. So, I played the original Eclipse. This was the second edition. If you're not familiar with the second edition, Basically, what you're looking at is new graphic design, some new artwork that's in the game. You're looking at some new miniatures, which is also always great, including some new miniatures for the like the NPC characters, the ancients that come into the game, the main galactical s- center in the middle. You're getting some absolutely positively amazing plastic inlays and game trays. So instead of just trying to like you know, endless amounts of hassle to put together all of your pieces. They're all together in one spot. So when you open the box, and it is a gigantic but also beautifully organized box, your particular race comes with everything. So whatever color you're picking, you get the three tracks. You're going to have money. You're going to have research. You're going to have materials. Very simple to keep track of. Beautiful kind of implementation. Underneath that plastic track that will sit next to your board is all of the different spaceships, all the different materials that you'll need throughout the game. So setting this game up, breaking this game down, putting it away, wonderful. Really great experience here. The game boards themselves are beautiful. The new races are excellent. Again, everything is streamlined. The tiles look great. This production is fantastic. This production will also cost you at least, I guess, depending on where you look, about 175 So it is not a cheap game. But again, it is worth the money if you are looking for a 4X game of this quality. Now, the game itself really comes down to just a, a couple of simple mechanics. So if you walk by a game table and you see Eclipse being played, you're going to feel like it's going to be overwhelming. It really isn't. You'll start with your own you know, solar system. It'll have its planets. It'll have its resources that will affect those three tracks that I talked about earlier. So you'll have your initial resources to go. Your particular spacefaring race will have its own special abilities. So it's not completely asymmetrical, but it will will give you a bonus here and there. Simple, all you're gonna do each and every turn is you're gonna take a disc off the track that's going to be your upkeep track at the end of the round and place it on one particular action. Most initial actions are explore, which allows you to take another tile, match up different warp tile zones, and then you'll be able to look at that tile. There might be an ancient on it, which you might have to fight later or protect. But typically, it's going to have planets and opportunities for you to expand your civilization. You'll also be able to research. Research is pretty simple. There's some initial tiles That start the game and each and every round more tiles will come out based upon the numbers of players. There are three different research tracks that you'll be able to build from. As you build your research up in one of those tracks, you'll get discounts that go throughout. And eventually you'll get points at the end of the game if you build those up. The research track here, the science tech track, is the most fun part of this game. Because you'll be able to upgrade your civilization to do things like be able to expand on certain planets, upgrade ships and and gain additional resources throughout. But yet the game keeps it pretty small. So as you discover these planets, as you discover these researches, you'll only be able to expand at least like three different resources on three different planets. You can take an action to kind of flip them over. But again, you can play as much actions as you want throughout that round But you have to keep in mind that every action, the explore, the research, upgrading your ships, moving your ships, building your ships, is going to cost you money at the end of the round. If you can't keep up with that, you're going to have to sacrifice all those different solar systems that you were able to control. And that's going to put you in bankruptcy in a pretty bad way. Now, there is a way tactically to do that that works to your benefit But again that's kind of an advanced rule so throughout the game you're expanding you're gaining victory point chips throughout each of the different sectors count as victory points throughout the game i already talked about the tech trees that score victory points you'll also be able to create partnerships with other players so you don't attack each other and you'll be able to trade resources in that particular way and then there's the battles the battles are pretty simple and straightforward whether you're attacking ancients, the global center in the middle, or other players, you line your ships out. There is a certain way in which they will be able to attack first throughout the the round. You roll the dice that are based on the upgrades that you put on the ships. Get hit. You destroy other things. They destroy you. You fight it out till the very end, and you'll be able to take victory point chips from a bag. Now, what's really cool and interesting about the game is as long as you participate, you'll have an opportunity to pull blindly from this bag of victory point chips. Now, they range anywhere from one to four points, and you'll be able to, throughout the game, collect up to four of these battles. So it doesn't kind of like force you to battle, but it does give you four options. So you might battle five or six times, In order to upgrade, you know, by chance, your one or 2s or 3s to 4s possibly. There's very few 4s, very few 3s, a ton of 2s and a ton of 1s. You might get lucky. You might participate in a battle and lose and get a 4-point chip throughout that. Eclipse is a really fun game if you're into the 4x kind of genre. And you have a couple of hours to play. This will take a couple of hours to say the very least. You do want to have at least 4 players at the table. The more players, the better, so that you could actually get that feel, and also so you could check other players. It is possible, and typically what happens in an Eclipse game is at some point, someone's able to pick research and technologies that kind of put them above and beyond other players. Now, the other players can get together and gang up on that player, but that doesn't always happen, and sometimes it's not always possible based upon where they are in the universe, so there can be that small that snowball element. There can be that Kinmaker element. The game doesn't overstay its welcome. And again, the process for building and upgrading, researching is very simple. The management of the money is extremely important. It's a fun game. It's a dynamic game. Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy is certainly worth the play. I would recommend the play for anybody to enjoy this game again it's not as problematic and as challenging as you would think it can be too expensive that's the one thing because you do need at least four to six players to really enjoy the game it is about you know anywhere between like 140 and 175 but you do get everything in that second edition streamlined so you're ready to go at that point ah man
1: I, I still can't do it, <laughs> like. But I own Ti4, I guess, and I I love it. So I, I just don't need another one this big. But I want to play it. I do want to play it. Well, I
0: have it in my house. We, we we can see what we could do because it really is a good game. And again, I think that there, if there is a conversation in board gaming, I think it's one of those things where like there are certain verses. There is always a Ti4 versus an Eclipse, and I guess in this case the second edition here. So right. I think both are good. I think both are worth owning, but you're never going to get both to the table anytime soon. (laughs) Nope. All right. So that's everything that's hitting our table. Let's get on to our feature review. Our feature review is talking about the latest and the greatest in board gaming. We are talking to our friends at Board Game Geek, and they have the hotness for June 2022. So, Anthony, obviously, we talked about this earlier. Origins hit, made a a pretty significant impact as far as all the great games that are coming out. Gen Con is coming up next, and especially PAX way back, way back at the end of the year. But there is still great games happening, whether it's Kickstarter or Game Found, or every once in a while they release a game to the market by chance. Right. What? (laughs) I know, it's completely an accident. But Anthony, let us know about the latest and greatest.
1: All right, yeah, so there are a bunch. So I'm going to skip all this stuff where I'm like, when, if you've listened to one of these before, I'm like, and this game's always here because there's a lot of games that are not always here. Uh, so this is drawing from the full top 50. If you go to boardgamegeek.com slash hotness, and we're going to start at number 48 because it's the newest game on here or the lowest listed new game on here. Um, this is Planet Unknown from Adam's Apple Games um, from Ryan Lambert and Adam Rimberg, And it is a... Kickstarted game that's coming, shipping now-ish, soon-ish, later-ish. Um, and it's polyomino space exploration, right? And uh, it looks very cool. Um, and people seem to be digging it as they get their copies out. Uh, this was on Kickstarter, I think, last year. So um, a lot of people had a chance to check that one out. But it's kind of a city-building puzzle manufacturing mishmash of mechanics, um, which uh, these guys are, are kind of known for. Uh Next up, moving up the list, uh, we've mentioned this one a couple times before, but it's up here a little bit now because it's shipped to everybody and then there are a handful of copies floating around it. And that's at number 46, Foundations of Rome. This is that beast of a game that costs, I think it's like 150 if you get at a convention, but if you don't, you're paying probably 250 because then you got to pay for shipping on top of everything else. But uh, it looks very pretty. It's just, it's a lot of game. And uh, they finally got it out to people, so. Congratulations, Arcane Wonders, you did it. (laughs) Uh, Number 45 is Gutenberg. This was a a hot game back at Essen, and it just released stateside from Portal Games. Um, I got my copy in the mail like two weeks ago, uh, shipped directly from them, and then also I've seen it pop up in some FLGSs and online stores. It's a game about making the printing press, which is kind of a cool idea. Um, It's got a bidding mechanic to it, and then you're kind of taking these... Uh, they actually have little print pieces of the letters that come in a little box and you're going to use those to kind of build out your own personal wheels. Um, very, very cool looking. I have not had a chance to play it yet, but I, I just love the theme. I hope it works. <laughs> uh, moving up the list to number 40. This is first in flight from Artana. This is on Kickstarter right now. It's designed by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett, who also designs, um, between two cities and homebrewers. Um, and so it's a game about the space flight or getting being the first one to put an airplane out there. Um, it's a push your luck deck building game. Uh, and so you are playing as these various different early flight pioneers. So obviously the Wright brothers, but then also Samuel Langley, some other people who are involved in the race to get the first airplane off the ground that can be commercially viable. Um, looks relatively light and simple, but interesting. And again, a different theme, which I love and very bright cards because everything's in the sky uh moving up number 39 sniper elite the board game this is based on a series of video games in which you play as i would imagine a sniper right Um, it's a hidden movement game though and it's based on on, um world war ii so you're uh, i guess a sniper moving around you know world war ii style maps taking out targets Um, Definitely not something for me, but people seem to be really psyched about it. Uh, This one was also on Kickstarter as well. Uh, We have at number 36, we have Kiedem's Dragons. This is a re-implementation of Aladdin's Dragons, which is a game from 2000. It's been out of print for a decent amount of time. Um, And that game actually re-implemented keydom so it's kind of like done the full circle now coming back to keydom dragons so it's a new game in the key f- world there's like 10 of these things now um but it's a it's a worker placement game so you're you have dragons who basically plunder the the kingdom of keydom I, I always have trouble saying that uh and you are trying to hoard that treasure in various locations so you are the townsfolk you are the workers You are going into the caves um, to recover those treasures from the dragons. So it's a cool idea. It's interesting Uh, and interested to see more so if they've updated any of the mechanics and kind of modernized it a little bit, which is always the fun part when they bring these older games back. This one also on Kickstarter right now. Um, Next up at number 34, Burn Cycle. This is from Chip Theory Games. This one was on Kickstarter a while ago. It's now shipping to people. Um, so this is, you know, as you'd expect from chip theory games, very heavily produced. You've got big, solid poker type chips. You've got the nice player mats. Everything is just to the nines. Looks fantastic. Uh, The game itself is is very puzzle like you're a team of robots in the future, and you're trying to basically take down the corporations um, that are, you know, subjugating the other robots. So you are freedom fighters in a way. Um, looks really interesting. It's very orange, too. a lot of orange going on here. <laughs> so, uh, I hopefully get a chance to play this someday. Uh, did not back it myself though, just cause those chip theory games are crazy expensive. Um, next up at moving up to number 29 pagan fate of Roanoke. Uh, this is from super meeple designed by Casper care Christiansen and car Storgard. Um, not a lot of credits between them. Um, they all seem to kind of relate to this game. And this one is uh, its listed as a Kickstarter as well. So I don't know a lot about it and didn't really dug into it much. But it does have very interesting artwork. It's not like your typical high fantasy, um, you know, people, wizards, throwing stuff uh, kind of thing. It's its a two-player duel game, and the, the artwork is very evocative of that. So it's a little bit smaller, simpler It's not a bunch of miniatures and stuff running around on the board. It's a deduction style card game um, set in the 1600s. So interesting theme. I, you know, don't know how I missed this one before because it does look very interesting. Uh, Wonderland's War is at number 25. This one has been on the list a little bit, but I don't know that we've talked about it necessarily. Uh, People are are all about this game. Uh, It's from Druid City Games and Skybound Games. This was on Kickstarter as well. (laughs) Common theme. Um, So in the game, you are taking the role as a faction leader who goes to the Hatter's tea party. Yes, it takes place in Alice in Wonderland world. Um, And then you are kind of interacting with that world in various ways. So to to put it simply, (laughs) there's a lot going on. Um, Artwork is very interesting and exciting. Like you can just see the cover of the book with the Cheshire cat's head kind of floating there. Um, I said cover of the book, but the cover of the game based on the book. Uh, And you've got to get a good sense of the artwork in the box. So Very, very interesting on that one. Um, Number, shooting way up here, number 17. um, We talked about this one, I think, with the Origins Preview, Amygdala. This is from Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer, coming from Game Brewer um, on Game Found in the near future. And it's a kind of abstract-looking, puzzly game, but it's about the different regions of the brain and how they communicate with each other, so... Just thematically, it's interesting. Even if mechanically, it's just going to be another kind of abstract tile lane game. Um, really, really like the cover for this, too. It's just very colorful and interesting. Uh, number 16, Bot Factory. I think this is probably one that almost made it to both of our uh, acquisition disorder lists this week, but not quite. <laughs> so it's a new Vital Lacerda game. game um, in conjunction with um, Yoao Quintello martins hopefully i'm not saying that too wrong um it looks like it takes some of the mechanics out of kanban and kind of boils them down into a 30 to 60 minute game i would be more excited about this if mercado de lisboa had been a better game because that's what that was was pieces of lisboa boiled down to a 30 to 60 minute game and it was fine i didn't love it so we'll see i'll probably end up backing this anyways because it's lacerda but um i'm interested to see how it plays um it's cool artwork though it's cute all right next up on the list we have clash of Galliforms at number 14 this one's way up here uh it's on kickstarter right now i believe it's always hard to tell which of these funding platforms it's on now um but it is a a battle game but with chickens they save land-based birds but it's just I mean chickens, right? <laughs> giant chickens, medium chickens, it's chickens. um So it's these different types of birds live in this alternate timeline, of course, where the birds work alongside different tribal clans, and you are riding these birds and fighting with these birds. And I, I can't quite tell what's going on beyond that. It looks kind of—I'm not going to say silly because it could be very interesting, but a war game with giant birds, different if nothing else. Um, this one's on uh, crowdfunding right now, though. We have My Father's Work uh, at number 11. And War of the Ring, the card game, was at 13. But we did just talk about that. So we'll, we'll jump past it. Uh, but My Father's Work from Renegade Game Studios, TC Petty the Third. This is a game in which you play a mad scientist who has, like, one piece of the work of your father. And there's multiple people who have that, another piece. Um it does have app integration. It has miniatures. It's got all these different things going on. Um, worker placements, like the core mechanic, but it, it does seem like there's a lot of good buzz around this game. It's expensive, so it's not super accessible. I think it's like 120 MSRP. Um, so if you did not back it on Kickstarter, you know, you pay a good chunk of money to get a copy. But it's interesting theme, and uh, the artwork seems to match without being too macabre and off-putting, which some of these recent like mad scientist games have been a little much. Uh, more horror-ish than, like, light sci-fi. So I'm interested to see how this plays. Uh, next up, we have Space Station Phoenix at number 10. It's a new game from Rio Grande Games, so of course we didn't know anything about it until, like, 10 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> a little before that, but not much. Um, it is a game in which you are operating a space station, but the the twist here, as they present it, is instead of starting with a small resource engine and kind of building it up, you start with a you're the best production engine you're going to have, and it starts to break apart. And you're trying to keep it as efficient as possible and get the most out of the resources and materials available as they kind of break down. Um, it sounds really cool. That could also not work, depending on how it works, because some people do like numbers go up, things get better. So things getting less, I don't know. Um, but Rio Grande, tends to put out good games. So I'm interested to see how this plays. Uh, Next up, we have Star Wars Outer Rim Unfinished Business at number seven. I didn't really love Outer Rim, so I have not been super excited about this expansion, even though I felt like that game needed an expansion. But it took them so long to do it. It's been like four or five years that I just, at this point, I'm shrugging. I'm like, I don't know. I got rid of that game a while ago. (laughs) Um, But, you know, new Star Wars stuff is always cool. This seems to be like Fantasy Flight's one big thing for the summer in addition to the twilight imperium and right which i still can't believe exists um so they're they're really pushing it pretty hard but i just i'm finding a hard time getting excited about it because i just couldn't get into the game originally but for those who are it's new content it is finally out you can finally play it um don't know when it's shipping but it's here it exists people have played it so get excited uh next up we have Metropolis, which I'll skip over a little bit because the only reason this is here at number six is because number one is a re-implementation of this game. Um, Number three, number four is Septima, which Chris, you just talked about, so we can skip over that. Uh, But number three is Brett Volda. This is about the um, kingdoms of Britain vying for supremacy in the 8th century. So it's a game from Phalanx, which they're well, well known for making war games, but like Interesting kind of different takes on war games and mechanics. Succession is very good. Hannibal Hannibal and Hamilcar, the re-implementation, that was very good. I have both of those. So this one is on GameFound, and it is a um, one-to-four-player game. It supposedly only takes a couple hours. It takes place in this 8th century uh, Britain. Uh, It's supposed to be pretty quick moving. So I'm actually interested in seeing how this plays. So I'm going to watch some videos later. Uh, Number two is Village Big Box. So, Inca and Marcus Brand's famous village has been around for a long time. This is the big box version of it, but it looks like they've redone the artwork uh, and they've updated a lot of things. And there's mixed opinions on whether you like the updated artwork or not. I didn't like the original artwork because it was like very generic, bland, Euro ish um, artwork. This is more like illustrated. You know, I've got the vines and stuff on the box and little tiny illustrations of people like Canterbury Tales style, which I really like. Um, but I don't know if I'm in the minority on that or not. <laughs> I think it's cool. I think they'll charge an arm and a leg for it because it's Eggertspiel, So I don't know how excited I should be, but um, that's the uh, Village Big Box, which is coming later this year. And then number one on the hotness, uh, and this is Skyrise. So Skyrise is coming from Roxley games. It's a re-implementation of Metropolis, like I mentioned before. Um, And it's all about building up a city in the sky. uh, And the original designer, Sebastian Pochon is back working with Gavin Brown and Adam wise and Gavin, Gavin Brown with Roxley games has worked on a ton of stuff, but is a personal favorite of mine because he was instrumental in the updates made to brass that brought us Birmingham when they, ran their Brass Lancashire and Birmingham campaign, as well as the updates to Santorini when they brought that back. So he has a very good knack at re-implementing games um, in ways that keep the core, don't like overwrite it or change it, but really modernize and make the game more accessible and fun. So I'm excited for this one as well. It's on Kickstarter. Also, um, it's on my saved list. I haven't decided whether to back it or not yet, but uh, it looks cool. So there you have it. The Board Game Geek uh, hotness and like a good 20 of them are new this week. So lots of stuff coming up.
0: It's really interesting now these days, Anthony, when we first started doing the podcast, there was so many games that were grail games that you never think that they would ever come back. And so many of them have come back and not just reprints, but like like you talked about the last two games here, super deluxe versions you know, so Skyrise and Village. I mean, I remember Village. It couldn't be more than two years ago. Every every board game website was like dumping those games. Like you yeah. can pick up Village and its expansions for like ten, fifteen bucks each. And now we're looking at a big box revival of it. It's I know, crazy. It's so fast. It's just it's just crazy. So, yeah, no, I, I think certainly these things are fantastic, and it's it's always nice to see great mechanics get the love and care that they deserve, because there's a reason why they're classics. People love these games. So whether or not they eventually, you know, I, I don't know, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say with these Kickstarter ones, because again, these can be very expensive games, especially Skyrise with all its, you know, upgraded pieces and such, but As you mentioned, you know, brass was nothing to sleep on and uh, think about all the good stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. Bye. See ya.